Let me invite you to open your Bibles to the book of James chapter 4. Let's pray together. Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. We have enjoyed the the thrill of singing your praise this morning, considering your goodness through the gospel of Jesus Christ, your kindness toward us in forgiving us our sin because of the sacrifice of Christ and granting to us righteousness, peace, and joy through redemption and through your Spirit who you've placed in each one of us that knows Christ as our Savior. Help us now as we consider your word. Help us to allow your Spirit to work within us. Enable us, Father, to surrender our will to you, to see the glory of Christ and the frailty and the failures of our human flesh. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. According to Matthew White's estimate on the page, Worldwide Statistics of Casualties, Massacres, Disasters, and Atrocities, a total of about 123 million, 123 million people died in all wars of the 20th century. Thereof, 37 million military deaths, 27 million collateral civilian deaths, 41 million victims of democide, defined as genocide and other mass murder, and 18 million victims of non-democidal famine. Throughout the course of history, there have been conflicts of all types, in all types of relationships. There are conflicts among countries, among communities, among races, among families, and in marriages. And you'll remember that Jesus used as an illustration of conflict to dispel the Pharisees' notion that he had a demon, he used as an illustration of that uh, a, a house that is not divided. He says in Matthew, or excuse me, Mark chapter 3, it'll be on the screens to my left and right, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. The reason I bring that to our attention and for our consideration is Jesus used as an illustration that a house must be united and not divided. A kingdom must be united and not divided. Because if a relationship, a a marriage, a family, a, a community, a church is divided, it has no staying power. A husband and a wife who have separate agendas will struggle to build and maintain a happy and fruitful home. Wherever we see conflict, wherever we see conflict, we have to see something much bigger in play. There's a bigger conflict. And that's why we're in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Let's take a look at these first four verses of James. He says, or writes, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, 
that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Always remember this. Always remember this. Conflict with people around you. Conflict with people around you reveals a conflict that you have within your own soul. Conflict with people around you reveals a conflict you have within your own soul. And conflict within your own soul reveals a greater conflict, a conflict with God, who is the source and distributor of peace. You know you. And you're like every other person. Right? And when someone is a problem to you, you see them and they're the problem. And, and you focus on them and their problems. And you try to uh, address the problem. But what you realize, or what we ought to realize, is the problem around me is, is first and foremost a problem within me, inside. And that problem inside, a lack of peace, a fullness of conflict, a striving inwardly is a revelation I am not at peace with God. James makes it very clear. And he's already talked about this in the previous chapter. He's already spoken about how this reveals a lack of wisdom. Take a look at chapter 3. This was our, our reading this morning, our responsive reading. Beginning in verse 13 of James chapter 3, he asks a very simple and straightforward question. And like any, any orator... He wants to answer the question. Uh, so that's exactly what he does. He asks the question, and then he helps to walk people through thinking through it. And so what he says is, who is wise and understanding among you? Ooh, 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 it's me! Right? Isn't that, wasn't that your answer? <laughs> You're the wise and understanding one. Well, James has a test or several for us to consider. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, don't say you're wise and understanding, and yet the way you operate in life demonstrates something other. Because wisdom and understanding does not demonstrate itself in selfish ambitions and conceit. It doesn't demonstrate itself in the old way of living. The, the life before Christ is characterized by selfish ambition and deceit or conceit. The new life, the new life is characterized by selflessness, honor, integrity, and considering others above ourselves. He goes on. Verse 15, the items of verse 14 are not. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there will be disorder and every vile practice. He is really uh, honing in. He, he's gone from, are we wise in understanding? Well, no, no, if there's bitter envy or bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, then I can't say I'm wise and understanding. This, in fact, is not just a problem. Uh, it, it's common. It, it's, it's earthly, yes. It's, it's not spiritual. It comes from the natural man. It's, it's unspiritual. And then, it's demonic. Now we have some otherworldly influence. And then he says, this is where every vile practice comes from. Passions that war within our souls. We all have them. And those passions that are contrary to what God reveals about the walk of the Christian reveal an enmity in that moment, a a standing against the working of God. The way that Paul might describe it in another text in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We know that that's a grace text, right? Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. I do not frustrate, in another text, I do not frustrate the grace of God. Here God is trying to, or willing to, pour into my life. He's willing to pour into my life goodness and righteousness and truth and selflessness. But instead of operating there, I am frustrating the grace of God. I'm setting aside the grace of God to operate this life in my flesh. Selfish ambition and conceit or jealous envy. I, I confuse all these versions that I've memorized these texts in and then I can't get them straight anymore. But you see what it says in, in your version there in chapter 3. Moving forward, verse 17. But, contrast, but the wisdom from above is first what? Pure. Then what? Peaceable. Then what? Gentle. Then what? open to reason, and then full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. Listen, let's say verse 18 again. You're doing great. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Sown in peace by those who make peace. And then he transitions in chapter 4. And so what's all this war about? The war reveals earthly, unspiritual, demonic activity. The war that that comes out, it's revealing that I am not at peace, at least in that moment, with God. I don't have peace with God, and so I don't have peace within, and therefore I don't have peace without. We are always trying to deal with this peace without bit. That's the last step. The first step is peace with God. The second step is peace within. The third step is peace without. We do it backwards. And because of that, conflict remains, persists, divides. Head, head over with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4. Throughout the New Testament, we see a recurring call toward peace and unity. And the book of Philippians is no different. Throughout our study, we have seen a call to oneness of mind and striving together. Too often people tend to strive against against one another. But the call for the church is to strive together. Not against, but to strive together. And so here we are in Philippians chapter 4. 
We'll start reading in verse 1, but our text this morning is verses 2 and 3. Verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Stand firm as citizens of heaven. Stand firm as those that are following after those who are following after Christ. Stand firm in this. Stand firm in walking worthy of the calling with which you've been called. Stand firm in 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 an expectation of the return of Christ who will, in fact, change our vile bodies that they might be fashioned like unto His glorious body by the power that is at work within Him, His power by which He'll subdue all things, all things unto Himself. So this is a sure deal. Stand firm thus in the Lord, confidence in Christ. Verse 2 now. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. James told us that conflict arises from self-serving passions. And it's when we're living for our own causes, or our own pride, or our own name, that we find ourselves at odds with others. All conflict arises based upon whose name we're living for. It is no different with gospel partnership. And so we'll see this morning that we must, we must, we must be living together for the sake of His name. We must be living together for the sake of His name. The first item of our discussion this morning of this text is gospel partners can have challenges. Gospel partners can have challenges. He he entreats these two ladies, Eudia or Euodia, depending on how you want to pronounce it, and Syntyche, to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. It means to, to think alike. To, to think same is really what it says. To think same. How's that going to happen? How are people going to think same? You know, we all have uh, such diverse backgrounds Our intellects are different from one another. Our experience is different from one another. Our mental framework is different. We we have so many differences in the way we approach life. This is not uncommon in the 21st century. It's not common in the 20th century. It's not uncommon in the 19th century, the 18th century, the 17th century. Go all the way back. I want you to picture. I want you to remember. Who are those guys that were following Jesus around? What were their names? Well, it was you know Matthew and you know James and John and Peter. You remember those guys? We call them the disciples. They ever have any conflict? They had been hanging with Jesus, following Jesus, laying down their lives essentially with Jesus for quite some time. And and toward the end of Jesus' ministry, we see uh, James and John kind of narrowing in. Hey, can I sit on your right hand and your left hand in the kingdom? I really want to have this great place around Jesus' throne. These are the guys that gave up everything. What's the issue? Well, first of all, they're human. 
That's the first problem. They, they, secondly, they have different backgrounds, a, a number of them. You know, there's a zealot, someone who is fastidious toward the law, and you have, you have a, a Herodian, someone who was zealous for the crown, and you, you've got all these people, the tax collectors, fishermen, all these different personalities going on, and, yet, and, and here we see it entering into their ministry issues. You'll remember just a little later in chronology of time from that, you remember Paul and Barnabas? They had a conflict over John Mark. The Bible never tells us who's right or wrong in that situation, but there was a conflict. And then a little later in chronology, you have Paul and Peter having a conflict about Peter's hesitance, hesitance to remain eating with Gentiles when religious Jews came in his presence. So there's conflict in life. We, we recognize this. Conflict happens. In fact, God anticipates these conflicts and has given us essential teaching to combat the norms of human sinfulness. Did you hear that? God has given us resources and insight on how to combat these norms of human sinfulness. He's given us a text like this in Ephesians 4. It's on the screens beside me. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And look at what it says next. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, there's going to be times when we don't See eye to eye. That's going to happen because you're human and I'm a human. And God tells us that it's not always going to be easy to get along, but He's given us insight. A manner of walking that is worthy of the gospel is one that is selfless, that is not about my intellectual background is better than your intellectual background, so my thinking is better than your thinking. Well, I've experienced this in the past, and because I experienced this, we can't go and do that. My experience tells me something different than your experience tells you. Well, well you know, I, I, would, I would be so frightful in that situation. You have a different uh, emotional framework than I might. We can't do that because that would, that would bring fear in, into my life. We can't allow these differences of experience and intellect and emotion to dictate what's right. How do we dictate what's right? Thus saith the Lord. And so he tells us with humility and meekness. This is gentleness. The term is meekness. It's the power of God under control. Patience and bearing with one another. He lets us know that this is going to be a potential issue. Gospel partners can have challenges. Okay, well that's, that's to be understood. You see it in the text both in Philippians 4 and these other illustrations, there's going to be conflicts. What do we do about it? Well, it's just normal. People don't see eye to eye, and so I'm going to let that person be over there, and I'll be over here, and that'll be it. That's that. Difference, difference. So we'll separate ways. Is that how God reveals the solution here in the text? Or might he have something else? He has something else, doesn't he? Let's take a look, please. The second item that we want to consider is conflicted gospel partnerships need resolution. 
conflicted gospel partnerships need resolution. Verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. Now, there are some that take the Greek word there and turn it into a name. And I can't even pronounce it. It's, like, it's one of those tough Greek words. Um, basically, genuine whatever this guy's name is. And it takes it as, as some human. Which is kind of makes some sense in a, in a, in a sense because he's writing a letter to the church, right? And he addressed Judea and Syntyche, these individuals, and then he addresses this other, this other Greek word, and it's singular. So is he calling out someone in the congregation to say, and I want you to help them, brother? Maybe. We can't be so certain. So I, I, the way that I will take this, and I think the way that we ought to take this is, every individual that can see Judea and Syntyche now has a charge. I beseech you also, or, I, or I, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Help these women. Don't just sit on the, the, the sideline and hope it goes away. Don't pretend it doesn't exist. Don't shy away from it. Don't turn your back on it. Don't run from it. You see, a problem arising amongst God's people, your job, my job, is to go in. Not to start barking out orders, oh, you're wrong and you're wrong, let's fix this. It's to go in and help them. Who wants to hear someone barking out orders at them? Raise your hand. Let the record show that that was none. (laughs) But you knew that already. Nobody likes to be told what to do. That doesn't mean we don't ever need for someone to rebuke us. But no one wants someone barking out orders. Come alongside. Help them. This is the call, to help these women. It means to bring together. To bring together. God has called His people to be peacemakers. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Well, that's clear. Peter also gives us some clarity in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. For whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Listen carefully to this part. Ready? Let him turn away from evil and do good. Will you read the rest of it with me? Let him seek peace and pursue it. Oh, whoa, whoa, wait a second. What's the difference? Seek it and seek it hard. Listen. Now listen hard. Seek it and seek it hard. Pursue, the word can be translated persecute. Dioko in the Greek, they, they were persecuting them. Well, I'm just going to casually persecute someone. No one does persecution casually. So he uses this same kind of a concept, this word picture to say, seek peace and pursue it with diligence, passion. Help these women. Seek peace amongst these women. Conflicted gospel partnerships must seek resolution, must be resolved. We can't see conflict amongst the people of God and be okay with it. It's not the way it goes. I've been so thankful. You know, I've been here for uh, 16 years, and we've had, you know, actually, I've been here since 1991 as a teenager, but I've been here for a long time over 25 years. What's the matter with me? I've been here for this long, right? And, and, there have been great periods of, of peace and unity. There have been some periods where it wasn't so. 
But over the bulk of the time, this church has, has really been for one another. Well, that would not be the case, brothers and sisters, if we would not see conflict and resolve it. If you allow conflict to just get swept under the rug, you will soon find yourself dismantling. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And so God, God does not want a church, a church that is divided. Conflicted gospel partnerships need, need resolutions. Third, gospel partnerships, ready for this, are standard operating procedure. For those of you military people, that's an SOP. I can't stand acronyms. They drive me absolutely insane. I had my, my OIC, my officer in charge, come up to me yesterday and, and she started saying, you know, all these acronyms. I, I just looked at her and I said, you're going to have to try that again because I got maybe one of them. So can you spell it out maybe? Uh, standard operating procedure. Gospel partnerships are the way in the church. Gospel partnerships are the way that God has uh, conducted His kingdom. Look at what it says here. Yes, verse 3, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women, listen, who have labored side by side with me in the Gospel, together with Clement, and, understood, together with the rest of my fellow workers. They labored side by side with me in the gospel. Now, Paul's already spoken about this kind of a relationship. In fact, he called the church to this kind of a relationship. Head back to chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, just for a moment. In verse 27, Philippians 1.27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. Will you read the rest with me, please? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is what he's called them to. And here back in chapter 4 and verse 3, he says, Euodia and Syntyche, these women who right now are not in agreement, they are right now at odds. They have been those who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. This is standard operating procedure because not only were Yodia and Syntyche doing this, so also was Clement, and so was another group, a group we have unnamed, these Gentiles. A group of Gentiles, or the rest, excuse me, of my fellow workers, fellow workers, those that work together. Uh, you know, the gospel is not about one particular preacher or even a group of preachers. It's about, it's about the body. You ought, to, you ought to look around regularly. Look behind you, look in front of you, look to the sides of you. Maybe even consider doing something radical. Ready? Change your seat. Listen, be really radical and move three rows. And then, later on, be super, super radical and move five rows and then six and then oh, cross the aisle. <laughs> Man alive. You'll see the other side of me. Move around. You go down to the fellowship time after we're done. Maybe, I know you love so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, but what about the other guy? What about the other lady? Maybe move around. Maybe 
the people that you're so familiar with, you can talk to them some other time. Go and talk to someone that you don't normally talk to. Don't run right out the door, folks. We've got to be in this together. We need laborers. God has called us to be laborers. Are you a laborer for the Lord? Thank God Paul didn't just have Yodia and Syntyche. He also had had Clement and the rest of these fellow workers. You know, one of the problems we have is sometimes we don't like what we get when we talk to the other person. If you can't find someone to work with, or if you aren't able to work with other people, I wonder if you might find out where the problem really resides. Well, I can't work with that one, and I can't work with that one, and I certainly can't work with that one over there. Listen, as soon as you start noticing that, the arrows have to start going, oh, I guess I know who the real issue is. And you can see it like in your home, right? On a particular day, one, one of your children is, is particularly stirring the pot. And you're like, all right, you had a conflict with you know, this one, and you had a conflict with that one, you had a conflict with that one. Maybe there's some common ground here. Maybe you might be the st- the, the stirrer, the stirrer that's mixing the drink, right? Maybe you're the problem. And, and I think sometimes we've got to look inward, inwardly about this. So, oh, I can't work with these people. Well, maybe it's maybe it really is you that's the problem. How is it that we, with so many differences, can work together? This is this is great, and this is just going to take a minute. Okay, don't don't lose your focus. Listen to what John the apostle said, he was talking about being those that were helpers to those that are on mission. And he says this in Second John, excuse me, 3 John, verse 7. For they, these missionaries, have gone out for the sake of the name. They have gone out for the sake of the name. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. That's not the point that I'm getting at. They've gone out for the sake of the name. They've gone out for the sake of the name. And if, if you look through the book of Acts. I want you to just, just notice this. Okay? The, the book of Acts conveys this over and over, that we're, we're those that call upon the name of the Lord. We are baptized in the name of the Lord. We teach in the name of the Lord. We speak in the name of the Lord. We preach boldly in the name of the Lord. We risk lives for the name of the Lord. We die for the name of the Lord. Whose name? The name on the sign? Cornerstone Church. No! The, the, the name at the bottom of the sign? Robert Clark. No! No, one's, no one here is living for me. We're living for Christ. No one here is going to die for me. He already did. Jesus did. The, the one we'll lay our lives down for is Christ. If you find yourself at odds with other people, let, let's focus in on that which is truth. Why are we here? What do we do when we get together? What is the call of the kingdom? To proclaim and to demonstrate Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. When Paul appeals to the Corinthians about their divisions, he appeals to the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of 
our Lord Jesus Christ. That all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What's the appeal? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, there can be conflict, yes. There needs to be resolution, yes. Gospel partnerships, working together, our standard operating procedure. And, and here's, this is good, last, last but not least, but it'll be short. Gospel partnerships, or gospel partners, excuse me, gospel partners are not forgotten. Gospel partners are not forgotten. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. And the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Whose names are in the book of life. While we should not be living for our name here on earth, our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who have truly trusted in Christ as Savior, they will be kept or preserved blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy. Our names will never be blotted out of the book of life. Brothers and sisters, we must live for the sake of Jesus Christ. We must live for the sake of His name. This is how conflict is resolved in marriage, in family, and in church family. You're struggling? You're struggling with someone? Live for the sake of the name. Not yours. Not your name. Not your church name. The name of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank You. Help us, Father, that we would, would seek Your glory, not our own. May we glorify You. May we see Your church rally together to proclaim and live forth the Gospel. We pray it would be seen in the way we live in our homes, in our workplace, and certainly that it would be seen when we come together. We want to come together for the better, for Your glory, and for the demonstration of what You've done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.